Would you pray with me, please? Let's begin our time in the Word together. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. Amen. Amen. So, here we are in our Who is Jesus series, case evidence. We want to know who this Jesus is. So we've been looking at a number of different stories throughout the life of Christ. And today we come to this Sermon on the Plain. We've heard it read. We've probably heard these topics over and over again. So part of me wants to dive into strictly what this series has been. Who is Jesus? What do we learn about Jesus in this story? But I also want to talk a little bit about what Jesus was saying, about the content of his, his words. So with your permission, we'll talk about the content, and then we'll circle around to the who is Jesus part of the question at the end. Now, when it comes to the content of this passage, I really struggled with this this week, because this is a This is a hard text to bring. I'll explain that in just a moment. Let's give the the background to the text. A large group of disciples has gathered around Jesus. Disciples, that means there are people who are interested in Jesus and wanting to be formed and shaped by Jesus' words. And they've gathered from all over the place. It says from Jerusalem to the south to Tyre and Sidon, which is modern-day Lebanon, I got out my Google map and I said, how far is it from uh, Jerusalem to Sidon? It says it'll take you about seven hours and 56 minutes if traffic is good. That's a long way. That's hundreds of miles. And they had all come together on this flat place in the western part of Israel to hear Jesus and to get healed by Jesus. So he's become kind of a big deal at this point. Uh, People making big road trips in order to see Jesus. And Jesus turns and gives them eye contact, looks at them, and he opens with, blessed are you if you're poor, and if you're hungry, and if you're crying, and you're excluded, and you're insulted, and you're rejected because of me. Leap for joy because of how joyful you are because of what I just described. But woe to you if you're rich, If you're full, if you're happy laughing all the time, and if you have a great reputation with outsiders, woe to you. And I looked at this scripture and I thought, okay, Alan, I see why you didn't want to be here today. (laughs) Because we might as well call this sermon, Woe is Scottsdale, right? Because you're rich, Scottsdale. You're full. You're amused and laughing, and you have a pretty good reputation. At least better than Mesa and Apache Junction. You have a pretty good reputation, Scottsdale. You're no Paradise Valley, but you're pretty good. (laughs) Woe is Scottsdale, or maybe we should just call this message, Woe is the United States of America. Because we're rich. 
and we're well fed. And we are amused and laughing and we like to think of ourselves as exceptional. We call it American exceptionalism. We think very highly of ourselves. We think the world should think highly of us as well. And why not? This is who we are, right? This is our country. We love a riches-to-rags story. No, we love a rags-to-riches story. It's the American dream. It's, it, we're the land of promise. We're the reason why Ellis Island was so full. People are coming here. Why? So they can prosper. This, we love that about who we are. And Jesus turns and says, Woe to the rich and the full and the laughing and the great reputation. Woe to you. Is, it, is he saying that to us? Is this to us? Some of you are going, I'm not rich. Yar. I looked it up this week. I, I'm, at least on one, one website says that I am in the top 0.2 percentile on the planet in terms of personal wealth. I would say that probably puts me in the rich category. If you make $33,000 a year, you're in the top one percentile in the world. Wow. Could God be talking to us? Which again, I pick up this text, and in the, in the work of the church, the job of the ministers is to take the word of God and make that word real to the people. And the reality is, is Jesus is talking right to us here. And is he saying to us, Woe to you. Because you're rich, because you're happy, because you're well-fed, because things are going well? Is that the way it should be? So I started thinking, Lord, what about this? And two stories came to my mind as ways to help explain this. The first story is the one that we heard last week where the apostle Peter, after having the best catch of fish he had ever had, if you weren't here last week, the story is basically this. Jesus said, cast your nets in the deep water. Peter said, we've been fishing all night. We haven't caught a thing. This is not a good day to fish. I don't think this is going to work. But because Jesus said, I'm going to go do it, cast the nets, has the biggest catch of fish he's ever had. Weighs down his whole boat. He calls his friends, whistles for him. They come, bring the second boat. Both of them are sinking under the weight of their prosperity. They bring these boats to shore, and Jesus says, leave them. Come follow me. What does Peter do? He leaves them. And he follows Jesus. So we look at that and go, good for Peter. We don't always say good for Peter, but at this moment we say good for Peter, good decision, now he's a follower of Jesus. But then I started thinking about the story in Luke chapter 18. We call it the story of the rich young ruler. I want to juxtapose the rich young ruler to Peter. So this story, if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn to it. It's Luke chapter 18, verse 18. It says that, Let's get to the right page here. That would be good. The ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit life? Eternal life. And Jesus said, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. It's a whole sermon on that phrase. That's a great one. But we don't have time this morning. That's really good. Jesus is smart here. Jesus is always smart, but that was really a good one. He then turns to this ruler and says, You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother. The ruler said, all these I have kept from my youth, which is indicative that he wasn't at the Sermon on the Mount. Because at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus basically undresses everybody and says, you say you haven't committed adultery, but you've lusted. 
You say you haven't murdered somebody, but you've said bad things about your neighbor. You said you've never broken an oath, but you've been a liar. In other words, you've all broken all the laws. That's part of Jesus' testimony when he comes to the earth, to make sure that we know that we're broken and that we need to confess that sin. Well, the rich young ruler missed that footnote and says, I've kept all the commands since I was young. And rather, rather than Jesus saying to him, you have not, you dirtbag, you've broken them all. Jesus says, okay, one thing I want from you. Interesting approach. Jesus says, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad because he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person, Scottsdale, to enter the kingdom of God. Oh, no. I have never seen a camel go through the eye of a needle. That sounds impossible. Is it impossible that the rich can enter the kingdom? Is Jesus just speaking in hyperbole? Or can we go, you're saying there's a chance. One in a million. Lord, what are you saying to us, says Scottsdale? Again, back to our picture. We have Peter over here. Jesus said, give it all, and Peter gives it all, and he walks with Jesus. And I think he's probably pretty happy. Over on this side, give it all, no Jesus, walks away sad. So my question to you, Scottsdale, shepherd of the desert, American believers, even if you're from somewhere else, which side are you? Are you the one who would give it all and walk with Jesus? Are you the one who, I wouldn't give it all because I got to hold on to it. It means that much to me. You know who I think you all are? I think you all are saying, well, I don't have to decide either way because God has never really asked me specifically to give it all away to him. I've never been told by Jesus himself, give all of your goods to the poor. So because I haven't actually been asked specifically, I don't have to. But I'm sure that if I was asked, I'd say yes. Is that you? I haven't given everything to the poor. Of course not, because I've got a life to live, and I need to provide. And so it's the American dream. I'm living out my life. I'm making ends meet. But if Jesus ever did ask, I'd say yes. Or if deep down in your heart of hearts you say, if Jesus asked me to do that, I'd say no to that. I mean, God is interesting. Being a Christian's okay, it's not like I'm going to give away my net worth for the kingdom of God. I'm not going to do that. Where are you at? Part of me wants to just say, well, certainly we're all followers of Christ here. We love each other. We all know that we're all over here, right? We're all just like Peter. Every reason to believe that we are. So I find myself thinking in my head, what are some indicators that we might have to help us to have every confidence because we want to be over here that says, blessed are you, Peter, because you're poor. You know why you're poor? Because you've given it all for the sake of the kingdom. You're hungry now because you've given it all for the sake of a kingdom. You are not 
esteemed in the business community. You are laughed at as a homeless pauper now, but you've given it all for the kingdom of God. And your reputation has taken a big hit. So you're probably mourning a little bit, the loss of a life that you used to have. But you are blessed, honestly. We don't want God to be saying to us, woe to you. Because when God says woe to people in the Bible, it usually doesn't go well for them. We don't want to be on the woe side. So how do you know in your heart of hearts which side you're on if Jesus hasn't specifically asked you? By the way, there are some people who say, Jesus has asked us to give it all. Guys like St. Francis of Assisi, have you heard of him? He did. He read that and he goes, whoa, time to give it all. The famous thing is he stripped naked in the public square and walked out of town. I don't know if that really happened or not. We don't have footage. But the whole idea of he just read the scriptures and says the application of this is to do this, and he did this. And we call him a saint partly because of that. So we, we esteem it when people do it. But I've never known anybody in a church who's actually done it, who's actually said, I'm giving up everything I have for the sake of the poor. I've just never seen it. We all assume that we would if we had to. An indicator might be, do you lend freely? Do you let people, do you share your your net worth with other people if they ask? How about people who have defaulted on you? Do you sue people? Do you love that person who has defaulted, who's thumbed their nose at your, at your gift and not paid you back? Do you love that used car dealer who heisted you on that lemon? Do you... Well, let's, let's just bring it more, more, more to home here at the church. Jesus has, has, represents also the Old Testament, which for time and memoriam, all the way back to Melchizedek in the book of Genesis, has said it's, a, it's appropriate for the people of God to give their first fruits to the work of the kingdom of God, which has been 10% in the past. Now, if you only make $10 a week and God says, I want one of those 10, you go, oh, that hurts because that's one of my $10. Or if you live in Mexico, where the minimum wage in Mexico is, you know what it is? $4.50 a day. A day. So you're making about 75, 80 bucks a month. And the word of God comes to a Mexican believer and says, I want eight of those 80. You go, I can barely live on 80. How am I going to live on just 72? Can I afford to give God his first fruits? But if you live in Scottsdale and you're making 300 grand, can you possibly survive on 270? Is it possible that we could make this work? But what's awkward about the United States of America is we're the land of incredible prosperity. It should be easier for us to give the first fruits than anybody ever in the history of the world. Yet, our tithing rates in most churches are something like between 1.3 and 2.7%. Not 10. We don't, we don't give. Oh, but if God said give it all, we'd give it all. But God has said, at least give them your first fruits. And if you say no to that, because you'd be sad if you had to give that much, just 10%. What a, so I, I, I look at the bulletin, and in the bulletin it says, we're way behind in terms of money. And I think, well, you know, things are tough all over. Yeah, but I just kind of do the math, how many people are here and what the mean income is in a place like Scottsdale and what maybe 10% would be even after taxes and after this thing. You know, it seems like... 
Seems like this number is not reflective of people who simply embrace God's call to first fruits. What about all fruits? Would, would we actually respond to that? This is no fun, by the way, what I'm talking about here, because it's meddling with our biggest idol, and our biggest idol in our culture is what we have. It's our capitalistic fruit. It's our money. And so when Jesus pokes at our money and says, blessed are the poor, but woe to the rich, we recoil. But as a minister of the gospel, I just want to come before you with this challenge and say, you have to let Jesus mess with you here and ask you some tough questions on the inside. The apostle Peter, after, after the uh, rich young ruler left, and Jesus said, wow, it's impossible. It's, it's, it's like getting a camel through the eye of the needle to get the rich man into the kingdom of God. And the people looked at the rich young ruler and said, he's awesome. Look at him. He's young. He's powerful. He's got position. He's got money. He'd be great in our ministry. He should be president. Let's fire Judas and have this guy take over the treasury. He's fantastic. Lord, if you're going to turn him away, how are we possibly going to run this whole discipleship enterprise that you're starting here? He's perfect. So Peter says something to that effect and says, Lord, this, this is impossible. If he can't be saved, who can be saved? And Jesus says something very important, which we'll circle back around to. He says, with man, it's impossible. It's impossible to get a rich man into the kingdom of God. But with God, all things are possible. So I'm saying there's a chance. And then the apostle Peter goes, yeah, but, but I left everything. I, I left my home and everything to follow you. And then Jesus has these incredible words to say, which shakes me up even more. Because at this point, I'm reading this passage, and it says, woe to you who are rich. And I'm thinking, blessed are the poor, woe to the rich. Our spirituality is defined by our bottom line. Like if I have too much money in my bank account, woe to me. But if I've emptied it, then God loves me. I'm starting to think in those terms. But then Jesus says this to Peter. He says, truly, Peter, I say to you, there's no one who has left house, wife, or brothers, or parents, or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this life and in the life to come eternal life. They go, oh, okay, now I'm starting to get it. Why is Peter so blessed that he gave it all? Because God's going to bless him again in this life and in eternal life. And then what's Peter going to do with that again? He's going to give it again. And God's going to bless him again. This is God. We see it in nature. We see the rainfall. We see things grow. We, eat, we shower. We have a drink. And then, oh, here it comes again. It's falling again. And we eat it again. It's the whole cycle. God provides. God is in the give to you to bless somebody else business. That's the kingdom of God. So blessed are you if you're poor because you've given it away for the sake of the kingdom. And then I'll bless you again because I'm a God who gives you your daily bread. And you'll take that daily bread and you'll give it to somebody else because you care about them. You might be a little hungry. You might be a little bit on the poor side. And you might actually mourn a little bit because instead of cloistering yourself in a world where I'm going to be happy all the time, you enter into the brokenness of other people and you weep with them and you mourn with them. And your life becomes this involved in the world, giving of yourself kind of life. And Jesus says, woe to you if you're just rich and 
you're just bloated and you're just happy and you're, you're just hoarding it all up for yourself. That's not how the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God works when you can let go of it and trust that if you let go of it, I've got plenty more where that came from. That's living. That's life in the kingdom, both now and forever. Just a couple things on this and then we'll, we'll, we'll roll uh, quickly to the who is Jesus part. A couple things. First of all, when Peter said, Lord, well, how is it even possible? If the rich young ruler can't be saved, how is it even possible? And Jesus said, it's possible with God. And this is the kingdom too. What you're not hearing today is some guy, especially an interim guy, the nerve of that guy to stand up here and talk about this stuff. You're not hearing this. You need to do better at being a generous person. You need to try harder to give more. That's not it. The descriptor of the kingdom of God is that if God has changed you on the inside, you say yes to God and you give because you're born again. Later in the chapter, Jesus says, out of the treasure of a man's heart, so he gives. If your heart has been changed and you honestly are sitting here with a piece of bread and there's somebody who needs it, and you know that in the giving of that bread, the gospel could be advanced and that person's needs could be met, it's a no-brainer. But if your heart has not been changed, you're Ebenezer Scrooge. You're rich young ruler. You just go, no, that bread is mine. And Jesus says, there's no life there. There's life here. But that life has to be created in God by his spirit in you. You need to be born again in order to have that kind of life. We live in a world that champions the other life and tells you, you deserve it, you should have it, you should keep it. But we lose respect from that world because we say, no, I should give it for the sake of the gospel. And this is the life that is truly life. Last thing, I just want to make sure, because Jesus made sure to point this out over and over through this text, that the huge motivating factor is the great reward in the future. I wish Bill Johnson could be with us this morning. Because Bill Johnson, who passed away on Saturday, if we could beam him in just for a moment, say, Bill, should we be worried about this life or the life to come? You know, you know what he'd say. He goes, now that I'm here, I don't know why I worried about that. That is all going to burn and that's all past. This is life. We live for the ultimate wedding feast and blessing of God. If we could just get our heads into that hope. See, Apostle Paul said, abide in these three things. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, because we believe in the word of God. And the word of God tells us about a hope, an eternal future that is far better than anything we could ask, think, or imagine now. And because we have that faith and that hope, we have a love for the world around us because we spend ourselves now for the sake of the future. I can either be full of In-N-Out Burger here now and die and go to heaven, and it all comes back to my friend Joey and the birthday party. Okay, are you getting it? I was so wanting a piece of cake now. I was so wanting my Milky Way now that my friend Joey didn't even get an invitation to the party. I was preoccupied with my now and I ruined my appetite for what was really to come. Is it possible that we as a body of Christ 
could be so consumed by our faith and our hope and our love in Christ that we're willing to give this world's values for the sake of a kingdom that's to come. And if we become those people in increasing measure, and many of you are already, and God bless that God has borne that fruit in your heart. But as we do that in increasing measure, blessed are you in your hunger and in your thirsting and in your neediness because you're givers. And we don't have to say, woe to Scottsdale. We could even say, blessed is Scottsdale because it is, its heart is pure and its heart has been changed to be givers. Would you pray with me, please? Who is Jesus? Lord, those words echo in our heads. We see who Jesus is in these pages. He's the one who left everything so that we could have. He was ultimately rich and became absolutely poor to the point of death so that others could live. Jesus, you have come to us and said, I am your way, I am your truth, I am your life. Christ in us is our hope of glory. Lord, with a little fear and trepidation, we say in our prayer now, would you please conform us to Christ, make us like him. We know, God, that when we do that, there's, there's crucifixion around the corner and there is giving and sacrifice of ourselves for the sake of the world around us. It's the loving thing to do. We want to be that kind of person, but we're afraid because we cling to our stuff and our life here. Give us the courage, God, to be obedient like Peter, that we could walk away with you and not be sad, but be happy, leaping for joy in our poverty. Let that be the body of Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name.